it, it does help. So um, we are live. I don't know how well you can see me. I can see you pretty right. well. That's okay. Um, it's good to see you. I'm glad we got this going. And again, I, I know I'll be switching sort of the camera feeds between me and you as we go. Um, so uh, we'll just kind of bounce back and forth and I'll be handling that on my end. Okay, sure. Um, so I guess thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me today. I'm glad you could make it for our first video podcast. Thanks. I'm excited about getting the opportunity to talk to people about the things that are going on in our practice. Uh, there's a lot of things. Uh, this might be a good time to plug a newsletter because I think there's too many for me to plug right now. Yeah, uh, we are. We've just started a new newsletter in November. So if you haven't signed up yet, please email us admin at restorationcounselingatl.com and get on that newsletter. We are pumping it full of great information. Uh, topics change every month and some are short little articles leading to a longer blog post. And some are short little helpful facts that are relevant for the time of year or things kind of commonly occurring in people's lives. Can you give us a preview of uh, some of the things in there? Uh, we're going to be, well, we're going to have an article coming up soon on EMDR, which is what we're going to be talking a little bit about today. We have articles coming up on moms returning to work. We have an article coming up on addiction and adolescence and looking at things to do deal with that. We have an article coming up this month about um, vaping and teenagers and kind of what parents need to know about that. So uh, a lot of great information. Uh, a lot to plug there. I'm excited about the moms returning right. to work one. I think that's going to be really interesting. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, so I guess let's just jump in about EMDR real quick, right? Sure. Um, sure. And so it's really easy sometimes to get the sort of, uh, you can call this like the coding of a profession where we know what we're saying when we say EMDR, but it just kind of sounds like we're murmuring or slurring our speech. So, Alphabet soup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I guess it's good to start with, you know, what does EMDR stand for as we keep saying EMDR over and over again? Uh, it's going to be really helpful to, to know what it, it really means. Sure. Well, EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. And I think um, when Francine Shapiro, the originator of this concept, first named it, uh, she would now say that she regrets calling it EMDR because it isn't only eye movement that's essential for the reprocessing and desensitization. So when I talk with people about what is EMDR, I, I really focus on the reprocessing and the desensitization as the key highlights to this technique. And um, the eye movement is uh, the most widely researched method to uh, uh, obtain these two effects, but it's not the only. It's just the most researched. And so when, I, when I'm hearing particularly the last two, uh, the DRs there, um, we're, yeah. we're, we're kind of looking at this sort of like reprogramming, reprocessing thing sounds kind of scary. And it sounds a little, to some people it might sound a little intimidating perhaps. Sure, um, sure. And I think it risks getting lumped in just by that sort of title with maybe less um, scientifically credited types of therapy, if that makes sense. You know, interestingly, EMDR is one of the most widely researched and scientifically supported techniques uh, out there in the therapy world right now. And chiefly, it's gotten its fame for its effects on post-traumatic stress disorder. 
So it's largely used in the military to treat um, veterans return or even maybe people currently in the military, um, but returning from traumatic incidents. So as those folks come back, you know, they had the opportunity to participate in this type of therapy and experience the benefits of the desensitization of the distressing experiences they had, as well as an opportunity to reprocess something that maybe they stored in a way they wouldn't have wanted at the time of its occurrence. Now it's expanded into so many other areas of treatment. But yeah, I, I hear people talk about two things. I hear people a little bit intimidated by its science nature. Yeah. And I hear a little bit of people talking about like, well, is this a real legitimate thing? Does it really produce difference and change? And um, uh, I would say it produces um, significant slash profound difference and change uh, in 20 years of therapy. I have never seen anything work so effectively on almost all patients. Maybe, you know, you can't say all because there's different reasons why someone might not be a great candidate for it. But the large majority of folks that come and present with different kinds of issues, um, EMDR is often a great technique for them. So one thing I'm hearing is, is this really sounds ideal for people with any sort of trauma. Um, I, I know when, when we drop PTSD in there, it's so widely associated with, with veterans and those returning from the military. Sure. And in fact, I believe the, the first group of people who were tested with EMDR were um, Iraqi yeah. war veterans specifically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the data on that that I've read is, is fantastic. But I'd be very curious to see how does it apply to people who would have other types of traumas, um, maybe not based in a war zone or, um, you know, well, let's face it, even walking towards the war trauma, I do think is sort of risk getting pigeonholed into veteran territory, which is fine. But I think it's a much bigger word that captures much more than just veterans. Yes. Well, uh, you know. I think it's really great to think about trauma in sort of two ways. Uh, We talk about big T trauma, extreme occurrences that we've been exposed to in our lives. Of course, usually not by our planning. So the war experiences, traumatic experiences during war might be one of those. Extreme abuse experiences might be one of those. You know, happening upon a a catastrophic event, you know, the Boston Marathon, if you were there that day, there's like events like that, right? 9-11. So there's like big, huge moments, capital T traumas in our lives. But then there are smaller T traumas and people who experience chronic bullying, people who um, had shaming um, as a chronic way that their parents interacted with them, folks who um, depression is kind of mindset-based maybe in addition to biologically based Hmm. uh, their anxiety that comes from like a scary experience that then sort of got hardwired into a person's mind. So we're looking at both, you know, capital T trauma and little T trauma. And so for the folks who have little T trauma, uh, they think of, um, they, they often um, belittle their experience and yet it, it haunts them and it stays with them in this, um, what you and I would know of, Jared, as like an unmovable sort of therapy difficulty. It's it's like a piece of their life that plagues them. It's almost like, a, from what I'm hearing, it's almost like a little way that some people might be bullying themselves by making their trauma sound less significant than it really is because it doesn't line up with the maybe Hollywood picture of what trauma is. 
Right. And I think the one of the chief things I want to do for folks who are looking to get relief in their lives, and that's what I really want to focus more on, is like, do you find yourself um, chronically battling some sort of mindset and it or, um, you know, negative thinking experience? And is it possible that it is connected to some particular uh, memories from your past? Hmm. Oh, then we also see people with grief. So grief's another category altogether. Um, and then there's also people who've had like a scary experience just the other day. So what they call that is a recent traumatic event. And like EMTs are um, a great example of this. Folks who, who do that kind of work are coming upon these over and over and over again. Hmm. And there's, there's um, sort of different um, techniques to use in EMDR that deal with all these kinds of scenarios. And so that's what's really lovely about it is its flexibility. I think what's off-putting about it is its name and the idea that folks are like, well, I don't have anything that's that bad. And I was just um, wanted to dispel that rumor. I'm not saying that everyone's thing is terrible and catastrophic. That's not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is um, you might be surprised that this chronic plaguing mindset piece in your life that's linked to some particular memories is movable in ways that you never imagined. And what that does for people when they get free from that, when they are able to reprocess that in a new way, often in a grown-up way, they live their life completely differently. They Hmm. walk in new freedom. So particularly for us as believers, I believe scripture talks to us about that Christ came to set us free. We see that in scripture and that there is a type of freedom that we are able to live in. And lots of us know the word and know God's truth, but we don't walk in that freedom. And it's often because of experiences um, with other believers or not believers where we had, um, we just got stuck. You know, Mm -hmm. we got stuck in a mindset and the mindset isn't compatible with God's frame for us, but we can't get there. And there's so many um, well-intentioned believers who want to be at a place different than where they are, and they can't figure out how to get there. And I'm not saying EMDR is like the answer to everything. I'm just saying that it's a really wonderful technique that is very compatible for the Christian who wants to see God bring them into greater freedom. Hmm. I, th- I think that's good. I think that's that's very good. There was a, a recent study on EMDR that I've kind of been following that was uh, done in large groups um, yes. with with uh, various refugees. Uh, I believe right. they were Syrian, but I can't remember 100% uh, at this time. Right. And uh, I'd be very curious, you know, a, a church that might undergo a, a particular group trauma, maybe finding out that a pastor has done something incredibly illicit and they really trusted this person. Uh, I wonder or if it's for the church shootings that have happened in the not so distant past. Absolutely. You know, uh, there's so many great examples of applicability. Yes. It, it would be very interesting to, to see that pushed into uh, uh, a church doing an EMDR group therapy would be very interesting. Right. Um, I think it might be a little early for me to jump on that. I, I kind of want to jump to, I kind of, yeah, I kind of want to jump to the mechanics of EMDR because it's not exactly the same as you walk into a room and you sit in there with one other person and you guys just sort of chit chat about your life and, and you throw a couple of insightful sentences in there and you, you call it a day. EMDR is a, a lot more complicated in a certain sense. Um, and I, I would love to hear more about, I guess, the if you can go to call this the mechanical side. Sure. Uh, there are, there, there is a, it 
it's very different than talk therapy. So for folks who come along who have had talk therapy before, it seems really weird and different to them because it's not talk therapy. Yeah. Because they don't really get the satisfaction of telling a whole story and explaining all the little bits. And a lot of people go to therapy because they want to experience validation. So in EMDR, they may not get that kind of validation. What what does happen, though, is uh, it's it moves a lot faster and covers a lot more territory than traditional talk therapy. So because we are following the pathway that the mind seeks for um, restoration, then uh, you can't know. Like, you know, in a normal session, you and I as therapists, we're guiding our patients towards things, but they have things in their mind that they want to cover. Yeah. EMDR is really more brain-based guidance than it is like intentional choice. So guidance. explain this idea of, of, of brain-based guidance. I think it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, my favorite metaphor for this is um, that, you know, everyone's mind works a certain kind of way. So we store our experiences and EMDR particularly targets experiences that are not put away. What we know scientifically about EMDR is it's very similar to REM sleep where eyes are moving back and forth. So EMDR has two scientific components that are really important. Intentional focus on thoughts that are sort of like our launch point, while at the same time experiencing some kind of bilateral stimulation, left brain, right brain. So those two things are happening at the same time, which is the dual focus is where a lot of the alleviation comes from. And in the dual focus, then if you can give your mind freedom, and we coach you on this, on how to do this, to just follow the path that it seeks on its own, it's kind of like free association, right? Um, if you and I say marshmallow, um, you're going to go to your next thought about marshmallow, and then you're going to have a thought about after that about marshmallows, and then another thought about marshmallows. And so, probably s'mores. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I can think of the spot in my cabinet where I keep marshmallows, and is it, are, you know, the big ones get stale and blah, 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 blah. Sure. On and on and on we go. It goes for a long time, right? Well, our minds have this path that they seek in getting to resolve all the parts of distress that they have. So the EMDR therapist acts as a coach or a guide. A lot of times I talk about being a cruise director. That's one of my metaphors that I think is really helpful. It's like I'm um, guiding you towards the next thing, but it's really in um, conjunction with where your mind is already taking you for resolution. Uh, it's my job to get you unstuck when you get stuck. If sometimes people trend down, they get fixated on a negative thought and they keep going there. It's Or um, in EMDR, there's not any necessarily new learning. It's just resolution with things that we already know hmm. and being able to put like our wise-minded thoughts next to our distressing experiences that we couldn't have done in the time. And so we act as a guide to help that process happen. Sometimes you have to take a pause on EMDR and talk about in a teaching kind of way as a therapist for a person who needs to learn some new information that they didn't know because they haven't had a chance to learn it yet. Yeah. You uh, use the term wise-minded. Right. Can you explain that? Well, uh, I kind of like to think about it as when we experience a distressing experience that's unresolved in our mind, Mm -hmm. we get a frame on it. Okay. And that frame locks in. So the recent article I did on EMDR was like opening closed doors. 
essentially what happens is our mind closes off to that frame that we have in that moment. So let's say um, I remember my first day on a school bus okay. uh, when I was in kindergarten and uh, I rode the bus with the high schoolers because that's just how it worked out in my neighborhood. And I was one of the last kids to get on the bus, like third to last stop. So I had to sit in the very back seat. Well, I, you know, now as I look back on that memory, which was a little while ago, <laughs> I have all these specific locked up frames about me at the back of the bus hmm. and the things that I saw and the conversations that I heard as a little five-year-old wow. yeah. in the back of the bus. That's locked up. It's, it's set. What EMDR enables us to do is go back and look at those frames and see if there are actually other conclusions that we could draw. You know, maybe I concluded, I didn't conclude this, but, you know, no one likes me. Uh, they all want to push me around or they want to try to take advantage of me. Well, my wise-minded self might realize that, like, those kids were developmentally a lot older than I was. And uh, maybe, maybe I was in their way or hmm. maybe I was, like, asking annoying questions. And there's, I, I'm able to consider situations and perspectives that I never considered in the moment because that kind of got locked up and closed in my mind. So uh, this is what, you know, most people have access to these other frames. They just never considered them before. Gotcha. And that's what EMDR helps them do on the reprocessing side. It's almost, what I'm hearing is it's, it's almost like hitting this emotional pause button, um, particularly when it's, you know, a single event or a repeated event that's exactly the same. You, you sort of hit pause on the intensity of the emotion so you can look at new perspectives, new, um, things or thoughts about the situation you couldn't bring in? You know, I wouldn't say pause exactly. I okay. can see why based on what I said you would go there. But the thing that um, is also happening at the same time as the reprocessing, because I'm just talking about that one element, right, this part, sure. is the desensitizing. So it the intensity sort of subtly decreases for folks, and that seems to catch them very off guard. We can have a session and they will experience, you know, emotion in the session while we're processing it. So they're experiencing the emotions that they thought back at the back of the bus and the way the kids were so big and intimidating and gotcha. I feel frightened and afraid. And by the time we're done with that, that set of processes, they're like, I don't feel as upset anymore. It doesn't seem so scary. I can understand it in a new way. So while we are editing the mind frame, we're often also desensitizing it. So that's where the, it's not exactly a pause. It's sort of subtly moving in the background, hmm. you know, coming down. And it surprises people. And, and I mean, I sit with it, you know, every day at the office and still I'm um, mystified at the wonder of what our minds are capable of. And we know scientifically we're barely taking advantage of our brain's capacity. Sure. So this technique is so friendly with... Um, utilizing the power of our minds and that's the duality of the desensitization sometimes happening at the same time as the reprocessing not always sometimes you know in a person's flow they'll completely de-escalate before they're able to make a lot of progress on the reprocessing but a lot of times they happen simultaneous that's interesting fascinating yeah I, I think one thing i'm hearing is in a way it's almost like bringing the mind's natural ability or natural desire to want what you're calling resolution or to resolve or um, maybe you could say um, uh, closure is, is a possibility possibly. Um, and you're I, just like the, I like the door frame because I think it's really helpful to think about 
you know, are, is your mind closed towards this experience or is it open to consider that there might be other things that you need to know about your experience that you never considered? Hmm. No, I, I like that. I think that's, that's so really I, that, I, I've, you know, I'm always looking for sort of metaphors that help explain it. But ultimately, these negative experiences, they cast a long shadow across our life. Yeah. And they, they sort of lock in our frame of understanding ourselves. And it's amazing when you see someone shift out of a frame that they've held for the course of their life. It's, it's really liberating. And I think the thing that surprises people is it sticks. Hmm. So... It's not one of those things like we do it today and yeah, I feel good for two days afterward. Uh, if done well, in most cases, uh, it's, it's, it's a shift, hmm. a permanent frame. It, I don't know if you would have um, any knowledge on this, but it, we know that the, unfortunately, the vast majority of people that seek therapy, usually six months to a year later, they're back to where they were. Yeah. Um, that's sort of the, the global data um, mm -hmm. on, on what we know. It, do you know if that's that EMDR looks similar to that number? Do you know if it looks different? I don't know what you know as far as the, um, you know, the numbers. I I, I'm guessing the stat is out there, and I just haven't read enough because the amount of literature being pumped out in it about EMDR is significant. Yeah. I just attended the World Conference here in Atlanta um, in October, and uh, there's just so much information being put out there and so many advancements and adaptations and focuses are, are being utilized. So I don't know the data, but in my practice, what I would say is uh, it's about an 80% permanent shift. That's, so, that's incredible. That's it's a really, yeah. I think that's a really high number for maybe people who wouldn't know, you know, go like 80%. Why isn't it a hundred? Well, the, what <laughs> happens is there can be new triggers sure. that are friends with the old occurrences. So in that case, sometimes people need a little more fortification, but largely it's 100%. So there's a few cases or moments for folks where there's like a little bit of a slide, but it, even within the, the protocol that EMDR has, and it's a very um, sort of process-oriented protocol, the last step fortifies you. It's called future forecasting, and you actually do... Um, secure yourself for future challenges towards the new beliefs that you've experienced. And so for a lot of people, that is like the sealed deal. And it's definitely not the step you want to skip because that sort of helps you move from the 80% to the 100% mark. Yeah, it sounds like really setting a vision for yourself. It's absolutely what you're doing. And uh, what they really um, create scenarios that they experience regular challenge in those areas and with individuals because it's typically individuals based uh, they see themselves navigating successfully through their new belief system in interaction with that individual hmm. and that's huge uh, yeah i think that makes the difference um, so, so walk me through it a little bit let's say i'm a client that comes in and i understand everyone's going to have a a very different setup here. So I'm kind of looking just for a, like, a, like a baseline or, or just a place to start. But if someone comes in, they've never done EMDR before and they have something they want to work on, how do you begin this entire process and, and what would it look like? Yeah, uh, kind of like normal therapy at first. Um, I am a, you know, my style is I really like to do deep work. Um, and so I really want to get a really good history on that person 
learn about them, learn about the circumstances, get a feel for how they process life. And so it just sort of depends. If I'm working with an existing client that I already have, I don't usually have to do as much of that work. If I'm working with a completely new person, then you know, we have to do it like a, a certain amount of history. Once we've done history, then the next step is um, we build a, a calming resource. So we build a skill, build a skill that teaches them to calm themselves and um, come down from distress because um, maybe unlike other kinds of treatment techniques in EMDR, you will experience intense emotions, and hmm. uh, but they just won't be long-lived. So uh, that's sort of part of the shift. So they would we would build this skill. If a person is uh, unable to build a skill and able to um, experience relief through the techniques that we teach, then they're not a good candidate for EMDR. So that'd be one rule out for someone if they were unable to do that. Gotcha. Sometimes folks don't feel like the world is safe enough for them or, um, you know, they just have too much flooding anxiety or there's some different little complications that could happen for a person, too much drama. Um, it's easier to catch people earlier in their process. So that's, sure. a, that's the first step. Then the next step is what I call mapping, which is where we sort of plan out, okay, what are the topics, the issues, the memories, the emotions that you want to process? And we work together to determine, okay, what are our key ones that we want to focus on? Or is there a single one? Maybe it's just that someone's you know, parent died and that was really traumatic for them. Sometimes it's easy to narrow in on one thing and other times we're, there's 28 items on their list. <laughs> and so we're sorting through all 28 to see you know, which is the best target. So once we've done that, then we work on the negative belief that they had about themselves in that instance. And we also work on the positive belief that they wanted to have. So that's kind of where we, we start planning. We measure about how much distress did they feel about the memory as they look back on it today. And then we give them a chance to choose um, which bilateral stimulation they prefer. Um, whether that be eye movement uh, or um, audio, audio, whether it's pulsing in your ear, you wear headphones, or the last one is pulsers. So you hold a pulser in each hand and they buzz, and that creates the left-right brain stimulation. So the patient has a choice on which technique feels the best for them, and they get the most movement. So we're doing a little testing to see what they like, and, um, and I'm testing you know, speeds and all these different little variables that are important for them. Once we've done that, then they're ready to begin the processing part of the protocol. And in, in the processing part of the protocol, we start with the worst part of the memory, and then we teach them how to like, you know, be um, loose with their mind to let their brain um, do, you know, follow the path that it wants to go on. Yeah. And sometimes for folks, that's really chronological initially, and then they move into these other associations that they've actually stored and held on to. But it takes time for people to get the hang of it. Um, some folks are just a natural, and it's very easy for them. For other people, they're really, um, you know, real structure thinker, and so it's more difficult for them to give themselves permission to be that like flexible and loose with their thinking. Yeah. Um, but it's not choreographed, and so once they get through that step, you know, we're working all the time to bring down the desensitization. So we're taking the distress and lowering it. And we're then also working to have a high belief, 
complete truthful belief in the positive statement we had. So we're, you know, working in reverse order here, bringing down desensitization, increasing positive belief about the, the chosen things. Sometimes those things move. And once all of that is done, then we're sort of securing them together where they can hold the, you know, no desensitization next to the positive belief that they would have wanted to have. Another thing, maybe important caveat I'll say here in parentheses is for a lot of us, our bodies remember things differently even than our brains. Mm. So for folks who have distressing experiences, they often have maybe chronic pain in certain parts of their body, or they always carry their attention in a certain place and it's connected to these events. So we're always checking the body to see so we're not just working on freedom of mindset. We're also working on body freedom yeah. so that your body is no longer carrying that memory in that same distressing way. That's all integrated as a part of EMDR. I, uh, I want to plug a resource on that real quick, uh, a Great. book that I know a lot of people have found helpful with, with things that you've described. is a book called The Body Keeps the Score. Right. That's uh, right. It's a, it's a really fantastic resource, and people that I've known who've gone through uh, various traumas have found it uh, absurdly helpful. I believe it even has a chapter on EMDR. Yes, uh, yes. It's a great, it's a great, it's, it's actually fascinating how um, sometimes when you can't get a person to do the mind process work, you can just focus in on the body. Hmm. And, and the body will eventually facilitate more movement, uh, either to get relief for that part of the body or the place where they've stored it, or to move again, mentally speaking, towards, you know, more mind processing. So absolutely, the body's really integrated. I wouldn't want to skip that part. And then the last step is um, the future forecasting part. So that's then where you're looking for um, places where you would anticipate challenge Hmm. around your new mindset, or, you know, um, what we might call future triggers. And so then they're working with you to forecast themselves into the future maintaining their mindset so that's that's the difference and that's kind of that fortifier that sometimes people don't they think they're done when they've like oh i don't feel distressed anymore about that memory but the reality is they need that last step to fortify things so that they are doing well in the future yeah as they experience other challenges so that's kind of the last step of the process and what i find folks you know coming in for like okay there's this one thing that's bothering me and they are amazed by the process and the relief that they get. And then they have other things they want to process. More little T traumas. Yeah. They realize now, oh, I don't have to carry this around anymore. So their list expands. One thing I'm, I'm, I'm thinking as you're, as you're saying these things is one of the biggest barriers is going to be absolutely those little T traumas. And realizing, hey, these can actually be addressed. That um, There's real truth that life is difficult. Absolutely. But we don't... Absolutely. We don't have to make it more difficult than it has to be is kind of my, my running statement with that. Right. Uh, it's, there's a level of difficulty in that. So I think as I recognize EMDR being a relatively new type of therapy, um, I think it's uh, about 10 years old, maybe a little bit less than 10 years yeah. old. 20. 20. Okay. Okay. Wow. Um, yeah. All right. So it's starting to get up there in age. Good for it. Get up there. Uh, I, I, it sounds like it still has a, a bit of um, uh, image work to get done just because of some of our yeah. preconceived uh, notions about, obviously, uh, what we talked about earlier between PTSD um, right. and little t trauma and accepting that, hey, even little t traumas are incredibly valid and a oh. 
bunch of little T traumas uh, are, are kind of like that change jar at my house. You know, yes. I, I keep yes. putting coins in there and one day I'm going to have more change in that if I don't already, um, then I might have dollars in a bank account. Um, yeah, it just it accumulates and they build on top of one another. So you want to get to freedom. And I would just remind folks that there is a richness in relationships that sometimes we're blocked from having. So that's, that's a huge motivator in my mind for why you do some of this stuff, the little T-traumas, is because you want to have a richer relationship with the people in your life. Mm. No, I think that's very good. And you're saying that the results of EMDR are significantly faster than uh, maybe a traditional talk therapy experience. From a situation that you've described earlier, you know, we depends on the person, but without EMDR, that's years of therapy. Potentially. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've seen, you know, people who get the hang of it can process extreme events in very short periods of time. And then other folks, you know, it's kind of like the peeling of the onion. Sure. They, they thought this was a small thing and that they come to find out that it was much bigger than that. But the benefit to some of the EMDR techniques are that you're looking for the earliest, most distressing memory, which often has a lot to do with present day things. Hmm. So a lot of things get restored at the same time. It's kind of like a sweeping effect. Uh, and it, it's, it's like everything to do with that topic at that really or origin sort of spot gets swept away and, you know, re understood. And that's really different than, you know, normal talk therapy. We'd be going at all the points along the way, whereas EMDR has a sweeping effect. So that's part of its speed is just that, that, you know, folks will be, you know, we, we took the list of 28 things and we narrowed it down to three and then we get done with, you know, the three and they're like, yeah, so most of the rest of this list doesn't even seem like a thing anymore. <laughs> yeah. Most of the rest of the list. Yeah. Yeah, that's about 90% of someone's life right there, and all of a sudden going, hey, are there complaints it, at least? Know, it, it depends on what kind of people's experiences are, because a lot of times they're having the same sorts of experiences over and over, because it has a lot to do with the people they're in relationship with at that time. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense. Uh, I'm following you. So I, I really love the, the fact that it's... Uh, if the person's willing to do the work and, and like you said, can catch on to the concepts, there is major, major ground Amazing. to be covered. Amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fantastic. It's really, um, a really great thing. And I think for people who, particularly for believers, which I want to talk about for just a second here at the end, please. Um, I think for believers, you know, they're skeptical of science-based things, but I would just remind you that God created our minds with this amazing capacity from the beginning, and we just continue to learn more about it. So having an openness to realize that like science does bring us some great, amazing benefits, that's part of why we are able to live longer now. Um, we, we want to take advantage of those benefits, but the people who have a relationship with the Lord, they are able to access depth in that hmm. relationship with God and see God's presence in different ways in their story than they ever understood before. And most of them are really, really comforted. And some folks even find that there's a spiritual barrier here and now that they need to work through that is like a thing that they need to learn about God in order to enrich their understanding of their whole hard story. So yeah. it just seems to do a great job at bringing so many things to light 
and uh, is not in any way incompatible with our faith. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you, you got to say that there. I, I do think of a lot of people and, and that I've known through the years who have uh, avoided or run away from faith surely due to a, sort of what you hit at the beginning, a traumatic experience of some type. Right. And all of a sudden, if this right. tool were out here, you, you really do wonder if people could reprocess their their old beliefs against something uh, in, yes. in an equal way. Right, right. Um, so I just guess I wanted to give you sort of the, the final word, the, the closing moment on anything that you want to sort of talk about with EMDR. Uh, if, I guess I don't want to say a final selling point to people because we're not necessarily trying to sell this idea. We're telling you about the idea. So, uh, yeah, the floor is yours. Well, I think my just last thought is just to encourage people to have courage to face the things that are like hiding in the closet. Mm. So uh, I think we all often all know what our closet items are. <laughs> um, well, you know, we bump into them and they sure. show up in, in an untimely way, but it really does take courage to face them. And so I just want to encourage people that um, your steps of courage are worth it. Mm. I like that a lot. Thanks for talking today about EMDR. I'm, I'm a little bit excited about it. Yeah, I can tell. Your, your passion shows through. Um, uh, thanks for joining me today, Jennifer. I, I really do appreciate it. You're and um, uh, I will talk to you later. All right.